Throughout the series of the Holy Spirit, we are talking about the Holy Spirit as a person. Last week, Brandon taught on the Holy Spirit in the fruits that are expressed through the presence of the Holy Spirit. And I'm so grateful for that word from Brandon about the transformation the Holy Spirit brings into our life. Do we come in with a posture of receiving the Holy Spirit to change and transform us? Next week, Elizabeth is going to be sharing a word on living in the Spirit, but today we are talking about baptism in the Holy Spirit. For some of you, you may be unfamiliar with this aspect and experience of the Holy Spirit or Christian faith. Some of you may have practiced this before a pandemic pushed aside our gathering together, but we are going to make space for the Holy Spirit to fill us, speak to us, and to experience the fullness of His presence. Today we're talking about a specific experience with the Holy Spirit that we see in Scripture. Specifically, five times in the book of Acts, we see different postures and experience of the Holy Spirit and the filling of. Through these stories this morning, I'm going to apply it to what it looks like in our church body, and then at the end of service, I'm going to ask you to participate along with me. And I'll ask you to take a step out of faith and invite the Holy Spirit to fill you, speak to you, to experience His presence. I want to begin with a reading from Acts chapter 2, and then we're going to dive in this morning. Acts chapter 2, verses 2 through 4. Suddenly, there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray today. God, we invite you to speak to us this morning. Meet with us as a church body, as a community, as a family brought together in the name of Jesus and empowered by your living presence in the Spirit. We invite you, we open ourselves to receive from you. In the name of Jesus, amen. I grew up in a faith tradition actually here at this church 30-some years ago, and in that period grew up with a Christian tradition where the Holy Spirit speaks to us and moves through us. I know not everyone in the room has the same experience growing up of how they understand faith, how they understand God interacting with us. I'll give you a bit of a window in what it was like for me as a young person growing up in a Pentecostal, Holy Spirit-oriented tradition. I remember that as a child, there would be moments in service where always a much older member of the church would stand up and speak in a language I didn't understand. They would share something to me as a child. It sounded like somebody was just babbling or speaking nonsense at seven years old. And I actually remember with me and my friend Andrew, when we'd go to kids' church, we would walk down and we would laugh, like, what the heck was that? We, would, we had no idea what it was. Um, I don't know why no one explained it to me, but I was always confused by it. And honestly, as kids, we thought it was a little bit funny. We're like, I, I don't know what that was or what was happening, and I don't know why Sister Ruth or Lorraine was sharing in what I couldn't understand. As a teenager, I was encouraged that whatever problem I had, whatever question I had, whatever longing was in me could be dealt with or could be handled by what was known as tarrying in the Spirit. And I would come up to the altar space and whatever problem it was or question could be handled at the altar. 
And sometimes that would be minutes or hours even of sitting and asking God to work it out in me, speak it into me, transfer it through me, and sitting and longing in that. No faith tradition is perfect, uh, and I can share stories of friends of mine trying to decide where to go to college, and at a Pentecostal service, they were praying over God, reveal where he should go to school, and he said, about hour four, I thought, maybe God doesn't care that much about where I go to college, and his youth pastor pulled him aside and said, uh, ladies, I, I, I feel like I want to just pray over, over him and just, you know, let's pray over this in private, and they're like, fine. He goes out in the hall, he goes, just decide, man, just, just decide where, you, where you're going to go. I had moments of standing at an altar and praying over those who were seeking the baptism of the Holy Spirit and moments where I could just sense someone's deep pressure on it and the intense expectation that they just looked so stressed that I felt God speak to me to tell them, just, just chill out, just, just re- relax, relax. This is, not, um, this is not a pressure moment for you. And I remember praying through with church members who probably needed surgery, probably needed medication, who just said, no, the the Holy Spirit will do it for me, rather than trusting in God's provision and also trusting in medical expertise. And there's been those struggles of it. But what I will say is, in the depth of that rich tradition is a desire for tangible experience with a living God who is still alive and working and moving just like He did in the pages of Scripture. And I can say that in my own struggles and doubts and questions, I've always been able to lean back into the experience I've had with the living God. To be able to say, yeah, that intellectual question, I'm not sure. Yeah, the experience of other pastors and what they've done, I'm not sure. But I know that there are moments in my life I can point to where I can tangibly say, in that moment, I felt the presence of God. And he spoke to me, and he transformed me, and he worked in me. And I can't deny the fact that I have experienced him physically, emotionally, mentally. And if you ask for a synonym of the Holy Spirit, what I believe Scripture shows us is love. The Holy Spirit is God's love expressed to us. Brandon, a few months ago, beautifully articulated it as God's desire for a loving embrace of His people is manifest through His Spirit among us. And His ability to show us His love, to encounter us physically, is present in the Holy Spirit. And to be filled with the Holy Spirit is to be filled with God's loving presence. And to understand that it is not just a mental exercise, it's not just a hope in a future encounter, but that God is experiential now in my body, in my heart, my emotions, and in my mind. I can feel Him, touch Him, and know Him and be known by Him. Two truths as we talk about the baptism of the Holy Spirit this morning. The first is that Anyone who comes to faith in Christ Jesus, anyone who confesses Jesus as Lord, is following Him and working it out, has the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is in you. You are not a lesser Christian. The Holy Spirit is not distant. He's in you. He's working. He's building you. He's drawing you to Jesus. Paul says this in Romans chapter 8, verse 9. He says, Remember that those who do not have the Spirit of Christ living in them do not belong to Him at all. If you belong to Jesus, if you confess that faith, you have the Holy Spirit working and moving in you. But secondly, what Scripture talks about 
is that all Christians are invited to a second experience of being filled with the Holy Spirit, different from salvation. Paul says this as well in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18. He says, don't be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. That's very natural. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. It's a different thing. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. And I think his idea of intoxication as a metaphor is helpful because it's experiential. It affects our mind, our, our emotions, and our body. You feel it in that moment. And he's saying the Holy Spirit to be filled with is experiential. You feel it. It moves you. You encounter Him. I remember a kid in my high school. I was a Christian in high school. I ran our, our Bible uh, chapter in the morning, um, but I was also what I thought was cool. Um, and there was another Christian friend I had who was very much not cool. And I remember he would say this. He'd say to other teens, he'd be like, yeah, I get drunk every weekend on the Spirit. Oh, I get high every weekend on the Spirit. And I'd be like, oh, come on, man. Just, just, be, just be somewhat normal. And I remember that, that rhetoric. Oh, I get drunk on the Spirit. And for some reason, it just still is in my head, and I guess it worked because I still think about it that way. And there is a reality to that. To an experiential moment with the presence of God that feels like overwhelming. I, I can't explain it. I can't control it. I felt something in me. It has residual effects as you leave the room of, I really experience God. I still feel it in my body. I still feel it in my soul. In the book of Acts, we see five experiences with filling of the Holy Spirit. They're each a little bit different. They each have similarities in them. But five occasions where people are filled with the Spirit, and they're actually five different categories of people. So I think this is helpful for all of us because we come into, even inviting the Holy Spirit, even sitting here on a Sunday, we come in with different expectations, different experiences, different emotional postures, and you may be in one of these five different postures. But what we see in Acts is, despite how we come into the room, the Holy Spirit can meet with and move through all of us. Five postures we see throughout. The first is those who are longing, really ready. The second, those who are receptive, I'm open. Third, the hostile, not wanting it. Fourth, the uninformed, I don't know, I just don't get it. And then five, the unlikely. Maybe, why am I here? I, I, I'm not like that person. Five different postures. Let's look at each one, starting with the longing, as we see in Acts chapter 2. Today is Pentecost Sunday. If you don't know what that means, Pentecost Sunday happens 50 days after Easter, or four weeks, four Sundays after Easter. We celebrate it because 50 days after the resurrection of Jesus, there is an outpouring of the Holy Spirit on a Jewish holiday of Pentecost. Pentecost was the harvest celebration. They celebrated the harvest that God provided for them, that they had a great abundance and they could eat and they're going to survive the winter. So they have a celebration. At Pentecost, for the New Testament Christians, the Holy Spirit redefines and builds on that holiday, builds on that tradition. It says no longer is it about just harvesting food. It is now about harvesting life, human beings, lost souls, that as Jesus said, the harvest is ripe, where will people go out? The Spirit is provided at Pentecost 
as a reminder that now we are working with souls, human beings, eternal life being harvested, reached, and saved. At Pentecost Sunday, Jesus had died. He had died on the cross, very painful for the early church. He resurrected, very powerful and confusing for the early church. And then He hung around for weeks teaching them, showing them Scripture, revealing why He had to die and what the resurrection was about. And now they're starting to get it. Okay, Jesus is God. He conquered death. We see what this looks like. And it's awesome because the resurrected Jesus is here. So this is really cool. Anybody who's like, oh, He didn't resurrect? I'm like, yeah, He's right there, man. You can touch His side. He let me do it. Then He leaves. He ascends into heaven. And then the early church is like, well, what do we do now? He, he came, he was powerful, now he's gone, and he says to them, wait here until I send my Spirit onto you, and the Spirit will come and empower you to be my witnesses to the whole world. And so, in Acts 2, we have a longing. They're in one room gathered, they're expecting, they're waiting, they're desiring the Holy Spirit to come. They're ready for it, they're asking for it. It doesn't say it in Scripture, but I think they're probably studying the Old Testament, looking at all the passages about Jesus, filling themselves with it, asking God to show up. Some of you may come to Sunday mornings with this posture, this expectation, this longing. It's a Sunday morning. Here we go. God's going to show up. I, I need to hear from Him this morning. I'm going to see Him transform lives, hopefully my life, and I'm going to experience it today. We come in with that longing and that expectation. Let's revisit that passage, Acts chapter 2. Suddenly there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. Fantastical passage in Scripture. There's incredible stuff happening in here, wild stuff if that was happening in a Sunday morning worship service. They're longing to be filled with God's presence in His Spirit. All of them received it in the room. No one missed out. All were longing it. All received it. There was wind and there was fire. And they spoke in tongues, other languages. And then there was a movement in them towards sharing Jesus. Peter gets up, preaches a powerful sermon. 5,000 that day of at least men are saved. And then it says continually this kept happening. Those are the results. That's the longing. We might all not feel that way on Sunday mornings. It's also in the morning, so I also kind of get that. The second are the people who are there are receptive. They're receptive. They're open to it. You're coming in on a Sunday morning, maybe you're not there like, ready, let's go, we're coming in this pre-service huddle, I'm ready, let's, let's take this thing. But you're coming in and you're, I'm open, I'm, I'm here, my posture is ready, I know God can or, or move, maybe any of these weeks, I don't know, maybe it's this week, I'm ready for it. We see this also in Acts chapter 8. It's the second story in Acts about people receiving the Holy Spirit, being filled with the Spirit. It's those who have decided to follow Jesus, but had not had the experience of being filled with the Holy Spirit. So, they're followers of Jesus, but they hadn't been filled. They didn't seem to miss it in a certain sense. They were living their Christian faith until the apostles came and said, it could be so much better. Let me show you an experience. Let's see it in Acts chapter 8, verses 14 through 17. 
When the apostles in Jerusalem heard the people of Samaria had accepted God's message, they sent Peter and John there. As soon as they arrived, they prayed for these new believers to receive the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit had not yet come upon any of them, for they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus, water baptized. Then Peter and John laid their hands on these believers, and they received the Holy Spirit. If you come in with a posture of openness, I know Jesus, love Jesus, I am open to what He can or may do in my life, the Holy Spirit can use that, draw that out of you, and fill you with the Holy Spirit. Those are the receptive. Third, the hostile. You may come in and you may come from a faith tradition where when we talk about the Holy Spirit or if we're laying out the altar space there, you may always have a resistance towards that. That's not for me. That's not my experience with faith. It's not my Christian journey. I'm not a big fan of that or all of the emotionality of it. You may be one of the ones that worship with your arms crossed and you're like, there's a lot going on inside. I know it doesn't look like that, but there is. I don't know always what that means, but you don't want that experience. I don't want this. I don't like this. I have no desire for that mystical, emotional part of faith. This is the third posture we see in Acts. Nobody was more hostile to the Holy Spirit than the Apostle Paul before he becomes the Apostle Paul. He is Saul, and he is working to uh, persecute the Christian faith. It literally says he breathed out murderous threats. So you could be in a really bad mood on a Sunday, but you're probably not in that bad of a mood on a Sunday. I don't know, maybe. But Jesus meets him with a blinding light, and then God sends an apostle Ananias to pray the Spirit over him. We'll see this in Acts chapter 9, verses 17 through 20. So Paul's now blinded by his encounter with Jesus. So Ananias went and found Saul. He laid his hands on him and he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road has sent me so that you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Instantly, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he regained his sight. He then got up and was baptized, water baptized. Afterwards, no, spirit baptized, sorry. Afterwards, he ate some food and regained his strength. Saul stayed with the believers in Damascus for a few days. And immediately he began preaching about Jesus in the synagogues, saying, He is indeed the Son of God. He is hostile. He is unopen. He is pushing against God's move. And yet the Holy Spirit breaks that down in him, receives the animosity, and responds as God does with grace and mercy and draws him into his presence. God can meet you even if your posture is against or upset. He can break through that and draw you in to His presence. Fourth, we see the uninformed, just unaware, not been open to the teaching or ever received it, not against it, but just don't know. They're uninformed, and we may be like that today. I've been around Christian circles. I grew up in the church, but in my tradition, we don't talk a lot about the experiential Holy Spirit part of faith. We don't talk about healing or prophecy or tongues. We don't hop into those odd experiential things. I'm just not very familiar with them, not against them. I just don't know them. We have this happen in Acts. In Acts chapter 19, there are a group of Christians that just 
don't know about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Paul travels there and encounters them, talks about faith and talks about the Spirit baptism. They go, we just, we're unfamiliar. We've been baptized in water and we know Jesus. He says, well, then let me show you more. Acts chapter 19. While Paulos was in Corinth, Paul traveled through the interior regions until he reached Ephesus on the coast where he found several believers. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed, he asked them. No, they replied. We haven't even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. Then what baptism did you experience, he asked, and they replied, the baptism of John, water baptism. Paul said John's baptism called for repentance from sins. That's good. But John himself told the people to believe in the one who would come later, meaning Jesus. As soon as they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then when Paul laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in other tongues, and they prophesied. You may not have much experience with the Holy Spirit or much teaching other maybe than these three weeks we've done or maybe even just today. You may have experience with Jesus, the knowledge that there's a Trinity and a Holy Spirit, but not about this experience or what this is like. That's okay. We take a step in and ask Him to meet us in that. Lastly, in chapter 10, we have the unlikely. I'm not someone who God works through. I'm not someone with that posture or that emotionality. I'm just not really an experiential person like that. I'm, I believe in it. I see it. It's awesome. It's just not, it, it doesn't work with me. I'm the unlikely one. It's, I, I, I'm okay with that. I'm all right. The ancient world is divided into two groups, the religious, the Jews, and then those who were not the Jewish type, the Gentiles. In Acts chapter 10, we read of the first occasion where Gentiles are brought into and baptized in the Spirit. It's shocking because they thought that's not how it was supposed to work. This is an extension of Jewish faith. You have to be in the church for a really long time. You have to be a part of this ethnic identity, and then God will work that way through you. Not supposed to work that way through the person who just walked in on that one Sunday and not prepared. That's not how it works. But God says, that is how it works. It's me, and it's my relationship, and I can meet you wherever you are, and I want to fill you with my presence, and I can transform you. All you need is to be present and open, and I'll meet with you. For Paul, sometimes not even that. They don't think it's possible, but God shows them that it is. What happened was, God gives a vision to a man named Cornelius. He was a Gentile, not Jewish. And his family also received this vision of Peter, the apostle, coming to them and sharing with them about Jesus and about the Holy Spirit. Then God gives a vision to Peter that he's supposed to go over there. So Peter comes, tells them about Jesus, about the cross, about the resurrection, and while he is talking about all of this, this happens. Acts chapter 10, verse 44. Even as Peter was saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell upon all who were listening to the message. The Jewish believers who came with Peter were amazed that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles too, for they heard them speaking in other tongues praising God. He's in the middle of his sermon. He didn't even do an altar push. He didn't do the second altar push that's normally necessary. He was just preaching, and boom, they started responding. Spirit starts moving. The people he's with don't even think these people are ever going to receive it, and they receive it in the middle of the sermon. 
So all of these show us we can come into the presence of the Spirit with many different postures. The Holy Spirit can work with that. The Holy Spirit can draw us in despite that or through that. What's common in all of these stories? What do we see about baptism of the Holy Spirit? The first is that they experience the love of God. They are overwhelmed by tangibly sensing, filled with the love of their Creator. That in that moment, they're tangibly aware, I was created on purpose, with a purpose. My life has value and meaning. God made me on purpose. He loves me so much that in my brokenness and my sin, Jesus Christ is there, offering grace and mercy, standing in my place, redeeming and working through me, and that the Holy Spirit is not working on His own to accomplish His own ends. He is working that I would feel, sense, and know the depth of love God has for me, most clearly shown through Christ Jesus. It is the love of God, God's love for you and me, being poured out into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. Are you a Christian without being baptized in the Holy Spirit? Absolutely. Do you have the Holy Spirit moving and working in you? For sure. Is it an experience of being reminded of the depth of God's love for you? Absolutely being reminded of how much He cares. And then in each moment, it appears that there are physical manifestations. There's something physical happening. This is often the role of the Holy Spirit. He takes the works, the transcendent works that the Father and the Son are doing, and He makes them tangible and physical and real. He works in our bodies. He works in the life. He works in our minds and our hearts. Look what happens on the day of Pentecost. There are multiple physical manifestations. There is fire on their heads. Very strange, never happens again in one of the other experiences, but there is fire. Fire in the Old Testament represents passion and cleansing. The Holy Spirit is there in a passionate expression of love, lovingly cleansing them by His fire. Some people, when they are filled with the Holy Spirit or have an experience with the Spirit, will say things like, it felt warm, or I, I just felt warmth in my chest or in my heart. I felt, I felt God's presence moving in me. It felt just like a presence or, or something moving. That's what the Holy Spirit does, is encounters us physically and in this world. Sometimes in the stories, it's wind. Ruach is the Hebrew term for it. Wind is understood as the thing that animates and moves all of creation. It is God's presence moving in the trees. It's God's presence filling your lungs. It's God's presence in the words we speak as we speak out His name. I'll give you an exercise to do. I I want you to do this with me. Put your hand in front of your mouth, wherever you are, and say the word ruach. Ruach. How much do you feel your breath on your hand? Maybe if you're really adventurous, put your hand in front of someone else and have them say ruach. They would say, you can't even say the name of the Spirit without feeling the movement of the Spirit in us. He's filling our lungs. He's coming out of us and in us. You can't say His name without physically experiencing the reality of His presence. The wind moves. The Spirit is present. Why am I talking about physical manifestations? Not to be weird. And not to move this into an odd, mystical, experiential moment, but to say that our faith is active and moving and working right now, still today, 
It's not a frame of mind that we get ourselves into that transforms us by our thoughts and feelings. That God is real and here and still active and moving among us. And that the Holy Spirit can transform us physically, emotionally, mentally, and spiritually. That the Holy Spirit can demonstrate God's love to us physically, emotionally, mentally, and spiritually. That our faith is not just an idea, but it is a relationship that can be experienced. And in the baptism of the Holy Spirit is God's relationship extending and embracing us and reminding us of His love. Now, I'm trying to strike a balance here. These things don't need to happen, but they often do. It's not that your, your life or your faith is less than if you never experience physical manifestations of God's presence, but how beautiful it is when we do and recognize Him there. Second thing I'll say with this, don't pursue physical manifestations. Don't. That's not what this is about. Don't pursue the heebie-jeebies of a great service and a great worship song and a great moment of prayer. I was a youth pastor, and I remember a young girl came to faith in our youth group, was at a retreat with us, and I heard her telling her parents as she was leaving and said, it was so great. At one point, I was crying, they were crying, we were all crying, it was awesome. And I was like, oh, okay, <laughs> she missed kind of a core part of this. Uh, she got stuck on the expressions and missed the meaning. The physical manifestations sometimes come, but the goal is to meditate on, to experience the relationship that God has shared with us through His Son, Christ Jesus. And the Holy Spirit will always, always draw you into Jesus and make Jesus clearer, make Jesus more powerful, express the glory of His goodness to us. On the cross, we understand that God loves us. Jesus died for us. That's how we know how much He loved. Through the Holy Spirit, we feel that love, that God loves us so much like you're the only person in the world and Jesus would have died for you anyway. He loves you personally and wants you to know that. The second thing we see is the expression of love back. It's an expression of love returned back. God gives us that love, and then they are returning the love back in their own prayer expressions, in their own witness and, and demonstrations. It is the emotion and physicality of worship. What is our spiritual act of worship? It's not this. It's not the songs on Sunday. It's not you listening to my sermon. The spiritual act of worship, as Paul says, is how we live our lives how we live in school and at our work and with our families and when we're alone. That's our spiritual act of worship. But our physical act of worship is what happens when we are gathered here in the room, when we sing those songs with our lungs physically, when we raise our arms as a demonstration of surrender physically, when we come to our knees as a response of surrender physically. These are our physical acts of worship because we serve a physical God who lived in a physical body and will resurrect our physical bodies and has left a physical Holy Spirit moving and working in us. And so when in Acts they are filled with the Holy Spirit, there are physical expressions of love. Why do people raise their hands in worship on a Sunday morning? It's not because I want people on live stream to know I'm sitting right there. It's because I am physically expressing back the love I have for Christ Jesus. 
I may physically express it with my body. I may physically express it with my voice. The physical aspects of who I am are then responding back. This is where the idea and where the expression of tongues comes from. This speaking in another language, a physical expression of our love back to God. As Augustine of Hippo says in the fourth century, the thought of you stirs a person so deeply, speaking of God, that they cannot be content unless they praise you because you made us for yourself and our hearts find no peace until they rest in you. That as we experience God's loving presence in His Spirit, as we are filled with His love, we cannot help but respond in praise. We cannot help but respond in declaring it out and praying it out and posturing ourselves to return it back. Which moves us in to the third thing, the final thing, we see in the story of Acts. They receive often a new love language. Three out of the five times it comes with this. A new love language. This is, when we talk about the baptism of the Holy Spirit or the filling of the Spirit, the strangest aspect of it. I know. It's also in some ways the most mystical and dynamic and exciting aspect of it. That in Acts chapter 2, we see this. In Acts chapter 10, we see this. In Acts 8, we see this. That when filled with the Holy Spirit, in a posture of surrender, someone begins to pray out, and their prayer becomes a language they don't understand, didn't create or manifest themselves. There's two categories of heavenly language, a language I don't know, I don't understand, it's not an earth language, or a language that you don't know, could understand or express. My sister was on a missions trip in a Spanish-speaking country, and a girl had been filled with the Holy Spirit and prayed in English that she did not know. The Holy Spirit demonstrates to us, I'm doing something. I'm, this isn't just in your head. This isn't just you. I'm working through you in order to express the glory of this relationship of love I am providing. Three things about tongues, because I know it's the strangest. Tongues are a physical sign of being filled with the Holy Spirit. It's a physical sign. Two, not all Christians speak in tongues. Not all Christians do. Not all Christians have to. It's not a category of better than or worse than versions of Christians. And three, it is often the first of the supernatural gifts given to us by the Holy Spirit. You may operate at some point out of prophecy. You may operate out of discerning for another. I feel like God gave a word for you. These cards we have on the chairs. I feel like God's speaking this to you. But for many of us in the New Testament and in church history, the first supernatural gift is the gift of tongues in being filled with the Holy Spirit. As we close this morning, not pressure and not trying to, you know, manipulate into anything, we're going to open up the space and give you an opportunity to come forward and to say to the Holy Spirit, I am open to your presence. I desire you to fill me with the love of God. I'll have some elders up here 
who can pray for you and pray that the Holy Spirit fill you. That's oftentimes the mechanism of how it's manifest. We saw that laying of hands and then praying that out. Two, you can go to any space around on your own and just pray that the Holy Spirit would fill you. I have lots of friends that have been filled on their own while driving a car or praying at night in their bed, filled with the Holy Spirit, speaking in tongues. Or three, wherever you are in the room, you can just enter into that posture of receiving and being open to the Holy Spirit. If you'll stand with me, if you can. I want to read from Luke chapter 11 before we open up the altar space. Luke 11, 9 through 13. Jesus encouraging his disciples. And so I tell you, keep on asking and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, everyone who seeks finds, and to everyone you give, and to everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. Your fathers, if your children ask for a fish, do you give them a snake instead? Or if they ask for an egg, do you give them a scorpion? Of course not. So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the gift of the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? The baptism of the Holy Spirit is a gift that God gives to us freely and out of his abundant love and grace. We enter into a posture of desiring to receive that gift, that reminder, physical manifestation of God's loving embrace. And so as the worship team plays some background music for us, I'm going to open up this altar space and invite you to simply come into a posture and say, God, I invite you to fill me with your Holy Spirit. Fill me with your loving presence. And I just encourage you, just push it past maybe that normal one minute or two minutes you would do it and just sit in it a little bit and invite God to speak to you, fill you with his Holy Spirit presence. And if you feel, you start to discern a physical feeling of God moving or, or warmth in you or, or you to speak out or pray out, I just encourage you to speak that out. Pray that out. I don't share this often, but it's one of my stranger Christian experience stories. Uh, when I was a teenager, I was praying for the Holy Spirit and I didn't receive the Holy Spirit. And I was like, what gives? I'm really trying. Um, I was like, I don't understand. And I'm praying, and I felt like God put the words of a Russian Olympian, Oksana Bayul, in my head when I was praying. I was like, that's weird, not saying Oksana Bayul. I wasn't even around for that era of the Olympics. And so I didn't pray it. And then a few months go by, and I'm praying again, and I feel the name Oksana Bayul again. I'm like, come on, this is, this is dumb. And not, I'm not saying Oksana Bayul. And prayed again. And then it was a third time, probably all this within about a year, I felt like God said, just, just say it. And I was like, ah, oh, fine. So I'm praying, I just said, Oxeda Bayul. And I like, said it real quiet, like, Oxeda Bayul. And I felt the Holy Spirit like, nope, louder. And I was like, oh, come on. I was like, there are people around. And it was like, louder. So I was like, okay, fine, Oxeda Bayul. And then 
I heard the Holy Spirit say again, no, louder. And I was like, this is annoying. So I go, fine. So I just go, Oksana Payul. And when I do, I felt the Holy Spirit move through me. I began to speak in a language I didn't understand. It wasn't Russian, I don't think. Um, I, I couldn't tell you if I knew. Um, and, and spoke it out. And I do think that for me, the entry point was a barrier of my own pride or embarrassment. I was like, I don't want to say it. I, I don't understand it. Putting ourselves in a posture saying, God, I may not understand this. I invite you to do a work in me beyond my own ability. Remind me and fill me with your love. If you feel like it's Oksana Bayul, just come up and talk to me. Um, but I'll invite the altar space here. I'll invite some of our elders up here and you can lay a hand on someone. Um, but I'll open the space as the team plays. You can come forward to receive. You can pray on one of the corners if you don't want someone to pray with you, but come to the center point if you want us to lay a hand on you. Or you can pray in your space. Let's seek the presence of the Spirit in this moment.